Welcome to Strength for the Journey from First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau. In our lives, day to day, month to month, year after year, we make decisions both big and small. As our Hope Restored sermon series continues, First Pres Senior Pastor Dan Chun talks about making decisions in this sermon called, Give Me a Sign. Well, it's good to be together for worship and be in our community, our church family, uh, to gather strength and remember where the North Star is. Uh, what a tough year for Hawaii, yes? Uh, January, false missile alert, uh, then a volcano and its lava destroying many homes, then a hurricane and tropical storm alert with major flooding and more homes endangered or destroyed. Simultaneously, a, a brush fire in Maui covering more than 2,000 acres, and a brush fire here on Oahu covering hundreds of acres and again endangering and destroying uh, many homes. Um, Four big events in eight months can seem too much, uh, plus the loss of our church members who have passed away and one of our members uh, recently getting shot in the line of duty as a police officer. Fortunately, uh, Pete Jones is recovering well, and he's here today. Um, So all too much. Um, So it's time to hear a word from Papa Bear about all this. Today is a sermon about how to trust God in the midst of the storms in our lives. And uh, first, I'm going to tell you some stories, set up a metaphor, then we'll read the Bible passage uh, for today, and then I'll give you some truths and perspectives that I hope will give you strength that will last a lifetime, no matter what the storm is you are going through or will go through. So first, some stories. As you may know, this last month, I was a busy traveler. Last weekend, I attended my niece's wedding in Carmel, California. Her name is Punky Chun, and she is married to now Tucker Witt. And uh, corporations, why is that funny? I don't know. Um, Corporations and Uh, The Department of Defense and other agencies pay my niece's company to hack their computers uh, to find weaknesses in their computer security systems and fix them. So, yes, my family has hackers. (laughs) Prior to that wedding, some of the staff and I and some church members went to Stafford, England for the Soul Survivor Festivals led by our church friend Mike Pilavachi, who has preached here. And uh, by God's grace, two donors paid for all of the staff travel as we wanted to learn more about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of healing and prophecy and about worship and evangelism. And the Soul Survivor Festivals are six six six-day events in a row, each averaging 3,000 to 10,000 people. Um, It's always interesting to be in a different country. You, You notice the various signs on buildings and the street. And signs tell us a lot about a country. And while in England, I noticed this sign in a pub. It says, awesomely accessible toilet. Uh, That's fun. That's whimsical. Ironically, one of our team got food poisoning at that restaurant and so had to use the bathroom often. So if you have to go to a bathroom, I say go to an awesome one. I went to a play in London called The Play That Goes Wrong, and normally theaters tell you if the featured actors will have understudies taking their place or if they have a certain star in it. So when I got to the theater and I saw this sign, I got all excited until I read the fine print 
that Tom Cruise will not be performing at the event. And in fact, he never was in the cast. Hence, as the sign says, Tom Cruise is not performing this evening. It is the play that goes wrong. If you go to the train station and you happen to be at Knightsbridge Station where Harry Potter and Hermione and Ron would go to Hogwarts, you actually see a sign that says Platform 9 and 3 quarters, the magical doorway that transports you to Hogwarts, the wizard school. Roselia Shishida, who's in the picture, is not in town right now, so maybe she is in Hogwarts. We all like signs. We all see on walls or on streets. When I was in San Francisco last week, I saw this sign. If you need a plumber, I would certainly go to this place. Professor Plums. Especially if you don't have a clue of where to go, I would go to Professor Plums. That was a joke. You don't get that joke. Have you never played Clue? Gee whiz. I'm promising you, 11-11, they're going to be laughing about that. So honestly, though, some signs are really confusing, like this one. Is that like at a roundabout? I don't know. So, but we all like signs. They help us find a destination or guide us, or as you can see in some cases, make us laugh. But when it comes to Jesus and the Christian faith, we are tempted to always want a sign from God that he is with us, that he loves us, that he won't give up on us, that he's there. And in today's passage, we shall see that the Lord is saying, don't have a faith that is based on always looking for signs from God. Actually, he would say, you already have more than enough signs if you are aware to see them. There are always signs out there, but you have to have your antenna out. If you constantly need a sign that God is with you and loves you, Jesus says, stop it and just have faith in me that I'm always with you and are for you. And once you fully trust me, then you don't always have to look for signs. So let me read a bit of our passage this morning, just two verses, so no need to stand. And we continue in our Gospel of Mark series. We're going verse by verse, and the theme is hope restored for the whole series. So here it is in verse 11, Mark 8, 11. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. Jesus sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. So Jesus warns his disciples to not look for signs to test God. And here I think Jesus means don't keep asking for a sign that proves God loves you and is for you. He is not saying in your prayers to not ask God for wisdom or comfort. Those things, yeah, keep asking in faith for that. But when we Christians keep asking for a specific sign from God to test him of, do you really love me? Are you really for me? Jesus is saying that's not good. It shows a lack of trust, and maybe it indicates that you have not fully committed your life to Christ or have a personal relationship with him. In our passage, the Pharisees ask for a sign from heaven, trying to trap him. They want to show that Jesus is not really the Messiah. So Jesus responds in our Bible passage as we look at this verse again. Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given. Now you notice he sighed deeply, it said. 
In the original language, in the Greek, sigh is normally meaning deeply grieving. It's not just a sigh, deeply grieving. Why do you ask for a sign? Asking for a sign is not evidence of a true faith. So he's basically saying, I'm not going to give you superstitious signs here and there, like because a leaf falls a certain way, it means to marry someone or take the job. I actually know of someone who felt if the rubber band on his morning newspaper was a certain way, it would be a sign from God of what he's supposed to do. So rather, Jesus says, just trust me. You see, the Pharisees knew all about the religious law. They even created religious laws, but they didn't have a true relationship with God. They knew the rules, they knew the rituals, they knew the religion, but they didn't have a relationship with, with Jesus. Hence, in their analytical mind, they were saying, give us signs that show that you are God. Show us why we should trust you. And this passage is actually for those who say they follow Jesus, the ones who supposedly made a commitment to Christ. If you are a seeker, if you're a non-Christian, then yes, keep on asking God questions to discover if he is to be trusted, okay? Keep asking. But to those who have supposedly made a commitment to follow Christ, you have to get to a point someday where you stop asking for signs from Jesus that you are really loved by him. I mean, how annoying that would be if you were, if um, for a spouse or boyfriend or girlfriend or a platonic friend just keeps asking you every single day, do you love me? Do you care for me? Give me a sign. Give me a sign. If you do that, then something's wrong in the relationship. As I said, my niece, Punky, just got married last week in Carmel, and she married a wonderful Christian guy named Tucker Witt, a Naval Academy graduate. So all you Navy people can cheer. And all you Marines and Air Force and Army and Coast Guard people can politely clap. (laughs) So I have prayed for Punky on average every single week of her life since she's been born. And I'm thrilled she married Tucker. But it will be a bad marriage if every single day Tucker and Punky have to ask each other, do you really love me? Do you really care for me? Can I trust you? Can you give me a sign today? They made a commitment to be loyal to each other and love each other no matter what, in sickness and in health, in sorrow and in joy, in want and in plenty. The ring was the only sign they needed to know. They made a lifelong vow. Done. Depend on it. Trust it. You see, for important decisions, you should only make them once. Don't try to make them over and over again. I talked to former associate pastor Sim Fulcher in Atlanta, Georgia, maybe like once a month. Um, He was with us for 15 plus years. I miss him and his wife Mimi, the ones with all the lay. And uh, so we talk a lot. He taught me the principle of make important decisions only once. And here's what he meant. Sim retired at 80 years of age. And as long as I've known him, he was committed to go to the gym regularly to exercise and lift weights. He was probably the most buff person on our whole staff. Just barely above me. And... (laughs) So he taught me that if you're going to exercise, you should only make that decision once. 
Once you've decided to do that, then don't revisit that every day asking, huh, shall I exercise today or not? Maybe I shouldn't go to the gym. Maybe I shouldn't lift weights. Maybe I shouldn't stretch. I'm feeling a little tired. Sim taught me that you make the decision once to exercise every day or every week of, for the rest of your life. And then you don't have to waver and wonder every day, shall I exercise or not? He said, if you didn't truly make that decision once, that will mean you won't exercise because it will be up for a daily debate. Same would be true for worship attendance or, or dieting or tithing or devotionals. Make that decision once and stick to it. Same for marriage. Decide you will love that person for the rest of your life. As Tucker said at the end of his vows to Punky, he said, let's do it. And and so make the vow and then say to yourself, okay, let's do it. Because hear this, you either pay the price of discipline or pay the price of regret later. For good friendships, decide to hang in there with that person even though that friend might let you down Everybody's human. Everybody's going to let you down. So work at it with the commitment to be a friend no matter what. The Pharisees knew about God. They knew the rules, but they didn't really know God. So they wanted a sign from Jesus. Why is it bad for Christians to keep asking for signs from God on whether he loves us and is trustworthy? I'm going to give you three reasons. Number one, we have not accepted the evidence we've seen so far. And number two, it's toxic. And number three, it just never ends asking for signs. Now, the first two points, I'm going to combine them together um, because Jesus kind of does that in our passage. So in our passage, Jesus asked the disciples to think about what Jesus has shown them so far in their time together. Now, remember, we've gone through eight chapters of the Gospel of Mark, and we've been following this. We have seen um, many, many healings. We've seen exorcisms. We've seen reconciliations. And by then, um, uh, but then Jesus makes his strongest point in talking about bread and yeast and miracles. So check this out. We're now on verse 13. Then Jesus left them, meaning the disciples, got back into the boat, crossed to the other side, and the disciples had forgotten um, to bring um, bread. No, Jesus left them, meaning the other crowd. Sorry, that was a mistake in my notes. So the disciples forgot to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And they discussed this with one another. It's because we have no bread. And aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you still talking about bread, having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketful of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? So, first of all, this is kind of like a Seinfeld episode or something. Jesus is talking about bread as a metaphor. 
The disciples, however, think literally, why is he talking about bread? Do you think he's upset that we forgot the bread? Are we in trouble because we only have one loaf? And Jesus was actually linking the most recent conversation with the Pharisees to a great spiritual point, and they didn't get it. So here's the point. When you keep doubting Jesus on whether he is to be trusted, when you know a lot about religion, but you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, then it can be toxic as having too much yeast in bread. And Jesus says, having and asking for signs faith, like the Pharisees, is like yeast in bread. And you're all thinking, I don't get it. So here's a quick lesson on yeast. The ancient word for yeast is leaven. And when we have communion, we have unleavened bread due to the Passover tradition, but also for the reason I'm going to talk about now. But right now, we're going to go with the word yeast to be consistent with the scripture passage. So yeast is what makes the dough in bread rise. It leavens or lifts it up. And here's what the first century people knew. When you put a tiny little lump of yeast into the dough, it will eventually spread through the entire dough. If you bake in the right time, the dough will rise to a sufficient level and the bread will be good and tasty. But here's the deal about yeast. Yeast eats up the sweetness of the bread. And the longer the yeast is in there, the more sour the bread will get. And if you leave the yeast in there too long, it takes out all of the sweetness. And eventually, it'll be yucky. It'll be inedible. Yeast is actually a living cell. And it is doing, uh, and what's doing is eating up the sugar like Pac-Man in the dough, breaking it down into alcohol and carbon dioxide. Eventually, there's no more alcohol. The carbon dioxide gets into the bread. It indeed rises. But if you allow the yeast to get in there too long, it'll take out all of the sugar and it becomes not good bread, but rather yucky tasting bummer bread. This is the profound truth Jesus was saying. If you live a life of always asking for signs, always doubting whether Jesus loves you and is to be trusted, it will be like yeast eating up the insides of your life until you become bitter and you have no sweetness. This will be toxic and it will ruin your faith. And while the Pharisees We're all about the external behavior, the external appearance, the external rituals. Jesus is wanting us to have this deep, central, internal, core trust in him. You see, we can go to church every week, Bible studies every week, go to conferences every week, but those are external things. What is our heart like? Do we firmly trust Jesus so that we don't need to continually ask for signs that he loves us? Now, some people say, you know, I'm going to flip my Bible pages and then whenever I stop, I can put my finger down on that verse and that'll be a sign from God of what to do. Don't do that. When Gideon in the Old Testament you know the story. He, he, he put a literal sheep's fleece on the ground and asked God for a sign on whether he was with him. <clears throat> but that was a narrative of what, G, of what Gideon did. 
And let's not take that as normative of how we should live every day by putting up fleeces. If it's wet, God is with me. And if it's dry, he's not with me, as Gideon was initially asking. Like Pastor Sim would say, make your decision to trust God once and don't ask for signs. Um, As a bit of a tangent here, I was stunned to find out that Senator John McCain had, had passed away, but I know for him and for other former POWs, what sustained them when they were imprisoned in Vietnam was that there was no doubt that the country was for them and God was for them and their friends and the Navy was for them and they would be rescued someday. Now, how can we possibly encounter this yeast in our faith that can make our life go sour? Part of the answer is, let's, is to go look back at your life and look at all of the miracles that God has brought about for you. Make a list tonight. Miracles are called signs and wonders in the Bible. They are signs to the wonders of God. And that is why Jesus talks about the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 and asks them to please remember that. Jesus said to his disciples in our Bible passage, when I fed 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread, everyone was fed, and so I asked how many baskets of loaves were left. And the disciples said, uh, 12. And Jesus said, right. And when I once fed 4,000 people with just seven loaves and all were fed, how many baskets of leftovers did we have? And the disciples said, uh, seven. And Jesus says, don't you get it? If you know about those incredible miracles of my love and grace and see what I have done, then don't live a life of always asking for more signs and whether I love you or whether I can be trusted. That should be enough. Which leads to my next point, which is point three. Once you start asking for signs, it never ends. It never ends. If you decide you want to see signs from Jesus that he loves you, and again, I'm not saying you shouldn't ask for wisdom for things. Asking for wisdom is good and healthy prayer. But if we always want a sign from God on whether he loves us or whether he's for us, and the, the bad thing about wanting signs is that it never ends. You may always feel that God owes you and it goes on and on. So imagine a a young adult Christian woman um, says, God, I haven't had a date for a long time. If you really love me, give me a sign. You are with me. Give me a man. And then she meets a man and they marry. And then one day she says, Lord, I want a child. We've tried for years. Do you really love me? Give me a sign. Give me a sign that I can trust you, that you, you love me. And then she gets pregnant, and it goes on. Lord, I want my child to get into a certain preschool. If you love me, you would give me a sign. And then it's, Lord, give me a sign if you love me because I want my child to go to a certain college. And then it's, Lord, give me a sign about a certain profession. And then it's buying a certain house at a reasonable mortgage. Give me a sign of your love. Give me a sign that I can trust you. It just never ends. Jesus is saying to us today, stop. Look at the times I've already shown you that I love you. Look at the times you've seen in your own life the feeding of the 5,000 or the 4,000 or the 7,000. And if you say, I don't have any of those miracles in my life, then you really need to stop and think because they're right there. Evidence of of his hand and we should be grateful. We just need to be aware. So I urge you, take time tonight or sometime and just Pull back and think, make a list of miracles in your life that Jesus has already shown you. 
Just the fact that we live in America is a huge miracle. And most of us, because of our American income, we're in the top 5% of the world. Now, once you've committed your life to Christ, make it stick. And we can make it stick. You know, there once was a boy who was uh, 12 years of age. He made a commitment to follow God, to follow Christ at 12. But strangely, he, had all this, this, he also had this heart to help the local church, and that's church with a big C, church at large. He said, no matter what profession I'm going to be in, I'm going to help the local church. And he had a heart to help pastors. Very strange for a teenager. As Pastor Sim said, he made that decision once, and he did not have to revisit that promise again. And sometimes when people make promises, they put little hooks on it like, well, when I retire, I will do this. Or if I make a lot of money, I will do this. But this young boy said, no, I I made this promise. And whether I'm really rich or not rich, I'm going to somehow help the church. By God's grace, he became very successful in business. He he became a multimillionaire. His name was Lowell Berry. Most of you don't know who he is. He made his fortune in a product called Best Fertilizer. And he could have changed his mind and kept all the millions for himself and just get, you know, 10 billion cars and lavish lifestyle. But no. Lowell Berry, for one, funded the Billy Graham School of of Evangelism to help pastors learn how to grow their church. Thousands were helped. He, He helped Robert Schuller and funded his leadership conferences to help pastors. He became a trustee of Fuller Seminary that trains church leaders and supported it financially. Born a Presbyterian, married to a Catholic. Uh, in 1979, he had an idea of bringing together Protestant and Catholic churches together to be inspired and equipped. He started a conference called the National Convocation of Religious Leaders. The first conference was at Stanford University in Palo Alto. In attendance was former senior pastor of this church, Bob Owens, and a young Fuller Seminary graduate named Dan Chun, who was attending USC Film School at the time. In 1980, Lowell Berry did the second annual convocation, but then in 1981, tragically, Lowell Berry died, only two years after the conferences began. In that year, um, another Presbyterian and Catholic woman got married, Pam and I. And in 1983, we had a dream that was confirmed in all of all places, Israel. What if we were to put on conferences like Lowell Berry wanted, but have them in Hawaii instead? And taking models from like the Urbana Missions Conference, what if we brought the best Christian communicators in the world here and had both Protestants and Catholic churches together? And so 1983, Hawaiian Islands Ministries started And the very first gift of seed money came from none other than Lowell Berry's daughter, Pat Berry Conklin, who used to be a resident here. And for the last 35 years, the Lowell Berry Foundation has supported Hawaiian Islands Ministries, which for 10 years also did a conference in the Bay Bay Area where Lowell Berry lived. So the dream of a 12-year-old teenager Endured through business, endured through after his passing away. It benefited Hawaii, even though he, was, he lived in the Bay Area. And he made that decision once, and he never looked back. 
And if you read other people's biographies, like Bill Bright, who as a young adult went into business but then started Campus Crusade for Christ, which is now called Crew Today, that was from a one-time decision. And its first full-time worker from Hawaii was a young adult named Wendy Chun, who made a decision to follow Christ, who then led her 15-year-old younger brother named Dan to Christ, who after that commitment was involved in ministry, even though as a journalist, or then became a filmmaker in Southern California, and then God called him to be a pastor here for five years as an associate, and who is now starting his 24th year as senior pastor. In fact, tomorrow to the day is my 40th anniversary of my ordination, a lifelong decision to follow Christ and to serve his church. So, whether in the marketplace, as a teenager or as an adult in business, it is never too early or too soon or too late to make that one-time decision to follow Jesus, trust him, and not to have a life asking for signs over and over again to see if Jesus really loves us. And once you make that decision, it will endure through good and difficult times. It will sustain you through hurricanes, and you will trust and not doubt that God will be with you in any storm. So make the decision that Jesus can be trusted, but don't revisit that again and again, asking for signs. Now, some of you may be saying, but I'm going through tremendous suffering right now, and it's really hard. And I know many of you have lost loved ones recently. But we need, yes, we need reassurances that God is with us, but sometimes the best reassurance comes from a deep-seated commitment that God, I'm going to trust you whether my circumstances uh, that I see are bad or not, and I will stand firm. So I'm going to close with a story. When I was in England a few weeks ago, I listened to a couple named Neil and Janet Young, the pastors of Causeway Coast Vineyard Church in Ireland. And sadly, they lost their daughter at the age of 16 days, and their pain was immense. And while their daughter was sick, they prayed to God for healing, and many others did too, but their daughter still died. And well-meaning people tried to give them advice, saying, well, she's at least in a good place, or other things that were supposed to be helpful. And they realized that even if God gave them an email of the exact 10 reasons of why their daughter died. It would not have helped. Their suffering was excruciating. They finally came up with an answer to their pain, an answer that didn't ask for signs, but trusted God in the midst of the storm. And they said this. They decided to embrace the mystery. Now, I think that's a good line to remember when we go through a a painful time and we can't figure out exactly what is happening, and yet we will still trust God in the midst of the mystery. They said, we will never know why she died so young. The big question for us was, how do we push in? How do we not lose sight of what we need to do in our community? And get this, they debated, even as pastors, of whether they would go back to church because of all of the people there who would come up to them. They said, in community, you find the awesome 
and the awkward. We didn't want to go to church and have another hug or have that look of people's eyes that ask, well, why didn't she get healed? She was supposed to be a world changer, wasn't she? When we decided, no, excuse me, but we decided we just have to go to church and we chose hope and it doesn't come instantly at your doorstep. There will be a better ending. And they came up with this saying that I want to share with you that they would say to themselves over and over again, which I think is good for us to remember when we are suffering and we can't figure out the reasons why. And here's the, sign, uh, the, the saying. God is really good, and he didn't do this to us. God is really good. He didn't do this to us. They said, then our grief could be in a safer place and go through the process. It is wrong that she died, they said. It will never be okay. And well-meaning people said, God must really trust you to have him take your daughter. But we don't believe he took her from us. We must face suffering while believing in a God who heals. And we must still pursue God passionately. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up right now. Friends, I believe there are some people here who are really struggling in life, and maybe in their faith. And there are some who have hit a really hard time. And God understands. And I believe God, whether you have asked for it or not, wants to show you his tender love in a new way. And for some of you, he wants to show that to you this morning. There are people here who might have lost a loved one and, uh, or a job or got a bad health report or you're going through a horrible breakdown of a relationship or making a sense of trying to make maybe a sense of losing hope. And now is the time to receive God's love and strength in a new way. It's not a superstitious asking for a sign, but it's more of a confession of just saying, I need help. I need hope. And if you're, if you're in that situation of going through a tough time right now, I'm just going to ask you in a moment just to stand up, and I want to pray for you and have others pray for you. It's not to embarrass you or anything like that, but I'm just going to ask you to stand up for prayer, and God will feel honored that you're coming to him like a child to a father. And then I'm going to ask maybe one or two other people who are near you to ask permission if they could lay a hand and then just silently pray for you. They don't have to say anything. Just let the Holy Spirit minister to you. And, um, and if they want to, at the very end, just say a one or two line prayer. So I asked this in the last service and, and many stood up. Those of you who are going through a time where you want some prayer, please stand right now. And the brothers and sisters here will pray for you. We have some here and some over here. Anyone else who would like prayer, please stand. And I know it's not to embarrass anyone, but just give God a chance to show his tender love. And and actually, I believe, as some of you are standing, God knew you would be here, and he wants to show his love and support for you. And now, those who are near those people, if you could 
one or two of you, could you stand up and just ask for permission to put a hand on that person and pray for them? We're going to sing a song and then have people, um, you can pray throughout the song and then just close it at the end. Over here, make sure if anybody's standing that they have prayer. Um, I want to make sure everybody's covered. Back there, you're okay. Okay, I'm just going to say a short prayer to start things. Continue praying and then we'll sing this song. Lord, come Holy Spirit, come. Come and minister to these people. I know you love them so much. Jesus said, Holy Spirit, you are the comforter. You're the counselor. So come Holy Spirit, minister to their needs. Give them hope and strength. And may this be a day where their trust in you will increase. And if there's some here who have never committed their lives to you, may they do so now as we sing this song. Amen. Prayer is a good thing to keep on doing. And after the service, our prayer team will be here in front of the cross and over here to my right. And if there are other issues that maybe the Lord is bringing up to surface in you, please take advantage of that. And then also at 2 o'clock today, the healing service. We would love to pray for you all. And I'll be there and many of the staff will be here. And we would love to pray for people. Um, But at this time, uh, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and his countenance be upon you. And may you know deep in your heart how much the Lord loves you, that you might receive right now the love of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Great advice from Pastor Dan and former Pastor Sim Fulcher. Make decisions once and stick to it. And the best decision you can make is to choose Jesus. If you'd like to hear this sermon again, you can listen to and download this and other sermons from the First Prez website, fpchawaii.org. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Join us at one of our worship services on campus at 45550 Kiona Ole Road, Kaneohe, Hawaii, 96744. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 930, and 1111. Follow First Prez on Twitter and Facebook. Download the brand new First Prez app. And you can watch First Prez sermon videos on our website and on Facebook. If you need more, call us at 808-532-1111. For Pastor Dan Chan and the entire staff at First Prez, I'm Michael Shishido. Until next time, God bless you and thanks for listening. Strength for the Journey is copyright 2018 and produced by the Media Ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Honolulu at Ko'olau.